Hi, my name is Brian Landau, and you are listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Drew McGowan. Drew leads communications for Cliff Bar Brand, and part of his purview is their robust work with influencers. We go really deep into the category, and Drew gives a one-on-one -on, -one on how to best activate influencers as part of a brand's marketing and communication strategy. This episode is made possible by Venly. Venly is an audio content management system for enterprise, and we enable the creation, collaboration, and distribution of audio content to your existing channels of communications. No new apps to download, no third-party distribution platforms. You have spent tons of resources developing your company's Slack, SharePoint, Notion, listservs, and social media handles. Your audio content can now live there with enterprise-grade security and players that are custom-branded as your organization, and with analytics that look more like social media insights and less like podcast downloads. Whether you're capturing customer success stories, repurposing training collateral, or even recording influencer testimonials, audio offers an authentic, genuine, scalable, and portable way for your brand to engage with your customers and partners. Curious how audio might play a role in how your company communicates? Email me at brian at venly.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y, dot C-O. And now, the fascinating Drew McGowan. Hi, Drew. How are you, Brian? Drew McGowan leads communications and influencer strategy at Cliff Bar & Company. He brings a unique perspective to marketing since he has a diverse career path, including corporate, agency, nonprofit, and government organizations. On a personal perspective, he's also a Little League baseball coach, a passionate fan of the Oakland A's, and a husband and a dad. He is also a board member with the Influencer Marketing Association, and he lives in Oakland, California. Drew, thanks again. Thank you, Brian. That made me sound, it, it sounds different when somebody else is reading it to me. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I read it, it made me think like, do I really want to be a Little League baseball coach? That's actually what, where I went, uh, went to with that. So I, I want to start with what happened last summer. Um, for many kids, school is where they get fed, and the combination of the pandemic and summer break meant that there were kids and their families who were going hungry. I know that Cliff Bar made some really dramatic, really inspirational moves in that space. What did you do, and, and how did you roll it out? So sometimes people forget about who we are as a company. Cliff Bar and Company, um, we've been around for about 30 years, and we actually have three brands. We have Cliff Bar, which is kind of the OG energy bar um, that is really meant to fuel people um, through athletic endeavors and to get them through um, exercise and when they're really being active. We have a bunch of snacks that are part of Cliff Bar as well. But then we have two other brands. We have a kid version, which is called Cliff Kid, and the most popular product there is Z Bar. And then we also have a third brand, which is Luna Bar, um, that we created uh, about 20 years ago. And that was originally the first bar that was made for women. And when, at the end of the day, we are a food company, we make food and we take that very seriously. We're a family owned business. Um, all of our competitors have sold out to large corporations. And that, why I bring that up is being part of a family business allows us to make decisions that maybe other companies with shareholders and you know, looking at their stock price may not be able to make. Um, but we decided when the pandemic hit that as a food company, we saw originally it was really New York is what we were looking at and the healthcare community there. And 
you know, working crazy hours and doing everything they could to fight COVID. And we were like, okay, we make, we make food that can get people through a shift. And so the first thing we did was we donated about 7 million bars to the healthcare community. And typically in a year, we're making millions of bars uh, to donate through different food banks, but we never have donated really to hospitals or the healthcare community. So we actually had to start from scratch and figure out how was, how is it that we're gonna get these out to the people who need them as quickly as possible? We didn't have a distribution network like we do with food banks. And so what we did is we leaned on our employees and our different partners and said, okay, everyone knows somebody that works in a hospital or is an EMT or works in a firehouse, give us their names and addresses, reach out to them individually and figure out, can they take a donation? Could they use a donation? And that's how we got out 7 million bars within a few weeks to people who needed them. Because we were hearing stories of people donating food and they were sitting on a loading dock at a hospital because people were so busy they weren't, and they weren't expecting them. It was great that companies were donating, but we wanted to make sure that people knew that they were coming, these bars were coming and that they could be used right away. And the best part about Cliff Bars, we all know, they come in a wrapper, you can stick them in your pocket, you can have them whenever you need them throughout the day. And it was just a great way for us to feel like we really could play a role and get our food out to people who needed them. Turn the page a little bit towards your question about summertime and what we realized was obviously the healthcare community, we're still donating to them and we still are today. Um, but we realized that with schools being out, a lot of kids, the only good meal, really the most substantial meal they'll get during their day is breakfast or lunch at their school. Um, tons of kids, unfortunately, in this country um, live their days hungry. And without schools being in session, we were really fearful. We started seeing some different stats that food scarcity with kids and families was going to be really just awful in 2020. And so we donated another 7 million bars through our traditional networks, um, like food banks, that went directly to kids and families. And so from about March through the end of the summer, we donated about 14 million bars. Those donations have continued through the rest of the year. And like I said, they're still going on now in 2021, where we still have a long way to go with COVID and with kids going back to school. So we're still continuing those relationships with different partners. Uh, but it's really critical for us as a family-owned food business to make sure that food is getting to people who need it whenever possible. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an amazing initiative, and I imagine that the goodwill generated was extraordinary. But look, people are people, and everyone, everyone's a critic these days. So, like, if a brand isn't careful, it can come across as a humble brag. How did you think about communicating this work in a way that it was additive to the business, but also authentic? Yeah, it's, I think it's a great point, and it's something that I've taken pretty seriously my entire career. I've, I've always worked with brands. I, my first couple jobs out of college were um, helping uh, start up the AmeriCorps program, the Domestic Peace Corps under President Clinton, and then helping start up a nonprofit building playgrounds uh, in low-income communities around the country. And that set me up really to understand the role that brands can play in helping solve problems in this country and helping uh, people get through challenges. 
And I think the most important part is making sure you want, obviously as a, as a brand or a company, you want people to know the good work you're doing, but I think what's nice, and it goes back to, you know, being family owned, I think, is that we are a really humble company and we often do this kind of good work in a, in a quote unquote normal year. We're, we're giving millions of dollars away, millions of bars away because it's the right thing to do. And we were really, we wanted to get the word out there because we saw actually some of our competitors getting a lot of good press about the donations they were making. But we, we decided that it really wasn't going to be what we were focused on, um, us telling the story. But we had a lot of our partners ask if they could tell the story for us. And that's what we decided to do. And we didn't force anybody. Uh, what we had is a lot of our partners come to us. And one of the things uh, we were able to do was uh, we worked with a bunch of our athletes. So Cliff Bar and Company, we, we sponsor a bunch of athletes in different sports around the country. Um, we gave them uh, bars to donate within their communities to, to different nonprofits that they had personal connections to. And so they wanted to tell those stories. And it was a, it was a win-win because they got to tell the story of a nonprofit that they work with that's doing really good work. And there's not enough storytelling around those the heroes and the different nonprofits that have done just amazing work and kind of lifted what they were already doing was amazing work. But during 2020, the work that they did in some cases, um, you know, exponentially got larger and we wanted to help tell those, those stories. The other thing we did is we looked at different uh, people that we had relationships with that were, you know, had large social followings um, that we've had prior relationships with. So, We've done a lot of work with um, Sean Johnson. She was Olympic gold medalist, uh, gymnast, um, and her husband, Andrew East. Uh, we've had a good relationship with them uh, for several years. They actually ran in the Boston Marathon with us a few years ago. And they have an enormous social following. And we reached out to them and said, would, if we gave you bars, would you, would you want to give them to a nonprofit? So they actually work with um, children's hospitals all around the country. So they did donations all around the country to children's hospitals as part of that initiative. And then they tell this, told the story of the children's hospitals. Um, we had uh, country music singer Brad Paisley and his wife Kimberly Williams Paisley. They own a nonprofit called The Store in Nashville uh, that is basically, think of it as a Whole Foods where everything is free. Um, it's great organic produce and, and food that um, is open to people any day to come in and shop for free and get great food. And so we donated bars to them uh, as well. We worked here locally in California. I'm based in Oakland. Uh, we worked with uh, Steph Curry and Aisha Curry. Uh, they have a foundation called Eat, Learn, Play. And we donated a million bars to them that went to mostly the Oakland Unified School District. And they were able to donate bars to local food bank, uh, the Alameda County Community Food Bank, and to the schools um, all throughout the summer. So what we did is we really leveraged the relationships we already had, these partnerships that we already had, and had them go out to the, to the people and to the organizations they care about. And that helped tell our story, but I think more importantly, it told the story of these nonprofits doing amazing work. 
shifting gears just a little bit, the, the business model at Cliff has long been brick and mortar, right? The, but the pandemic limited purchasing at places like airports, convenience stores, retailers like REI, where you do a lot of business. A lot of companies talk about digital transformation, but Cliff Bar had to pivot from a brick and mortar model to being a digital retailer over the course of a few months. How did the team think about the storytelling around this massive change in the business? So you're, you're completely correct. Um, the bar category in general uh, is mostly bought in brick and mortar stores. And with, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, people had their grocery list and they were going in and out of stores really quickly. And oftentimes uh, energy bars weren't on those grocery lists. And, you know, coincidentally, actually, we had a plan to relaunch our website and our e-commerce planned for March of 2020. You know, obviously that had gone, that had been planned for months prior. So we didn't know anything about COVID at the time when we, when we launched that initiative. So it turned out to be good timing for us. Um, but I think one of the things, you know, it's, it's hard to think back as part of this pandemic. And at the time, you know, we really cut most of our marketing as a lot of companies did. We had huge plans for 2020 um, leading up to the Olympics and a lot of the athletes that we work with. Um, and we really turned off all of our marketing. And then obviously beyond the pandemic, uh, everything with racial injustice that really was brought to light um, was another was another time that we decided it wasn't the right time to be out marketing. So a lot of our, our traditional marketing efforts were put on hold. And one of the things that I'm proud to say, the team that I work on, we were able to continue um, working with influencers during that time. And there was definitely a lot of talk about, well, should we really be working with influencers or is that just another way of marketing? It definitely is a way of marketing, but a lot of the influencers we work with, I like to think of them as small business owners. And by not doing work with them during that period, that was going to be hurting those small businesses. Um, and so we worked with a lot of influencers during uh, the pandemic and really turned on a lot of uh, work having storytelling be be told by those influencers and those creators to their audiences um, instead of us telling the story. Kind of similar to what I was talking about before about the donations. Uh, it was important for us to make sure that we were still getting out the story whenever we could of what we were doing, but told through uh, an influencer or creator's um, you know, own storytelling to their own audience. So you mentioned just before a couple of the athletes and celebrities that you're working with, other celebrities, if I'm not mistaken, are uh, Venus Williams, Megan Rapinoe, you do a lot of stuff in, in the Olympics, but the influencer strategy that you have is a micro-influencer strategy. So That's right. how, do, how does the, the celebrity level endorsement live with these smaller scale uh, influencers? Yeah. So let's start with the athlete side. So, you know, we... we started as a company that was, um, you know, the story of Cliff Bar was started by uh, Gary Erickson, our founder. He was on a bike ride and needed energy and the energy bar that he had at the time, he just couldn't 
get down another one um, and decided to create an energy bar that actually tasted good, was made from real food ingredients, organic ingredients, and that's how Cliff Bar was founded. So athletes have always been a real uh, integral part of our, our marketing and who we're talking to. And it's, um, it's, it's been a really core part of our business strategy is talking to athletes. And so when we think of our athletes, um, a lot of our athletes that we work, work with aren't necessarily, don't necessarily have huge social media followings. In fact, a lot of the athletes we work with have been our partners long before social media even existed. They were influencers in a different way. They're very influential within their sport, whether it be cycling or rock climbing or skiing or snowboarding. Um, but it wasn't about their social media following. And so they are influencers, but not in the way that a lot of times we talk about influencers today. And so we think of those, those uh, athletes not as celebrities, though, let's be honest, Megan Rapinoe, a huge celebrity, but she's an athlete to us. Venus Williams is an athlete to us. People like John John Florence, who's a surfer, is going to be representing the United States in the Olympics this year, um, is an amazing athlete. He also has you know, millions of followers at the same time. So we treat them a little bit differently. We're not typically going out to celebrities, um, if, you know, per se, and trying to do relationships with them. We're the only reason we'll ever work with a quote unquote celebrity is if there's really an authentic connection. Often it's that they came to us because of something we were doing as a company and we've built a relationship and then we'll work with them. We're not typically going out and just kind of seeking out people with, you know, millions of followers to use that as a media strategy. To, to your point, we are, most of our influencer work is with micro-influencers. So people that have, you know, 5,000 to 30,000 followers. And why we work with them is we are certainly trying to drive awareness when we're working with influencers. Um, we want to work with influencers to get to their audience so that that influencer, that creator is doing storytelling in their own voice with their own creative spin to it. Um, but they're, they're, they're talking to their own audience versus us telling a story. They're telling the story and they're putting their spin on it. And those micro influencers we've found um, have a much higher engagement rate. And while the reach may not be as high, the engagement is incredibly strong. And so when we're doing campaigns for Luna or Cliff Kid or Cliff Bar, 90% um, of the time we're working with micro influencers. And you know, I'm not saying it's the right strategy for everybody, but we have decided it's definitely the right strategy for us. And so what's the ROI that you're looking to drive against? Is it just creating a lot of content at scale? Whereas maybe now you have more of an e-com play. It's like, you know, click the link in the bio and it's more of like a referral type of driver um, to your business. How are you thinking about that measurement beyond just this person with 25,000 Instagram followers posted today? Yep. So I think, I think the way that I think about measurement with influencers is to think about it as kind of art and science or you know, head and heart, if you will. Um, you can look at data and we have data and the main way we measure is engagement and engagement rates on a post is how we measure up. And that's what we have goals on, on any campaign that we're running on, 
on what the engagement rate is. That is the main thing. We're also looking at impressions. We're also looking at, um, you know, is it some of our campaigns will drive to our site. They might be driving to a campaign. It, it depends. Um, but I think that the biggest thing, and like if anything, anybody gets anything out of this, um, this podcast is, is this point, is I believe that influencer marketing, and I'm more certain than ever right now, needs to be a critical part of your marketing mix. And here's why. If you are just using it as we used to, uh, as a way to do storytelling to, through these influencers on their own channels to their own audiences, that's great. But the secret is when you can get it and go across the marketing mix. So for instance, creating content, how are you using that content on your own site, on your own social, in your advertising? Um, um, how are you generating reviews uh, with influencers that can help with conversions and kind of draw people down the funnel? Um, how are you really using that content that's, that this influencer is creating to actually convert into buyers? And I think that's really kind of the secret, the unlocking that can happen working with influencers is just take, this is a really simple thing, but we've all, you know, when we're working with brands, we do photo shoots. Photo shoots can be crazy expensive. And you, at the end of the day, you get a few photos that you might use for a brand campaign. We could do a similar campaign where we gave a brief to, let's say, 50 influencers. That same brief that would go to that photographer or that creative agency and say, hey, we want you to shoot this kind of photography for this brand campaign, um, but do it in your own style and your own way. We'll get for a tenth of the price and I think much more engaging content from 50 different photographers, if you will, in that case. And um, we wanna make sure that those creators that we're working with are paid fairly, that they're getting a good rate because we actually wanna keep doing business with them. But that's a way that I think it's kind of turning on what influencers can really do with brands and be true partners with you. Um, and that's what we really like to, how we like to look at influencers as, as much as we can as true partners that we continue to work with. Yeah, I mean, it's creation plus distribution as part of one package, exactly. right? But, but when you are doing these deals with these influencers, are you negotiating a specific uh, clause that allows you to repurpose their content? Or is that just a given that as part of the engagement, like you get to take that content and put it on another channel? No, we have, we have contracts with, with all the influencers we work with, and that's, that's part of the negotiation. Yeah, I think it's a really important, a really important thing to build into a contract. If you're doing influencer work, get as much mileage out of that content as you possibly can. Yeah, you want to get as much mileage out of it, but and you want to make sure. Uh, and I'll say it again: you want to be partners with them. They, they are in essence small business owners, and we want to make sure as a brand that we're treating them as such. So, what are the priority channels for you with respect to influencer marketing, and you know some of the content forms that you're that you're maybe experimenting with heading into the future? So probably not unlike a lot of other brands, um, our focus has really been on Instagram. But, you know, to throw another wrench into things in 2020, um, we were part of the boycott with Facebook and Instagram, uh, where we didn't do any paid media with those with that company. Um, and so we, 
I think it was actually a really good thing because it got us looking at other opportunities. And our 2021 plans um, include those different um, platforms. So as, as you can probably assume, we're leaning more into TikTok. Um, but even on Instagram, we're leaning more into Reels. Um, we're looking more at Pinterest, at Snapchat, at Twitch. Um, I think the, the live streaming piece, uh, which, you know, even, even today, this podcast, we're doing this over zoom. Like, you know, it's, that's, that's the way we are now. And so the live streaming aspect, whether it was, you know, the music business or, you know, online happy hours or whatever it might be, you know, I think in some ways it's really opened up on to what we can do as just individuals, but as brands as well. And so we're looking at live streaming definitely as a way to be a part of people's lives in a really relevant way. Um, you know, I think that's, as we all know, that's kind of the secret of marketing is you don't want to be interrupting. You want to be part of a conversation. You don't want to interrupt a conversation. You don't want to be the rude person at the cocktail party interrupting. You want to be part of that conversation, part of that dialogue. And, you know, I think that's what we're really looking to do um, using influencers and using these different digital channels. What's your best influencer story? My best influencer story. So um, I mentioned them earlier, but I'll go back to it. Um, Sean Johnson, uh, Olympic gold medal, Olympic gymnast, uh, and her husband, Andrew East, uh, NFL football player. Um, they reached out to us now three years ago or so. Um, they were going on a backpacking trip and um, Sean had said she had just an absolute love of cliff bars from her days as a gymnast, that they were um, like a really nice, you know, almost dessert treat for her when she was going through training. And she looked forward to that. So she always had fond memories of cliff bar and they reached out we sent them some bars. Um, and that led to us kind of having a conversation. I actually met them um, over coffee one day and just started talking to him about different things. And at the time I knew her as, you know, this, this, this woman who, um, you know, represented the United States and was kind of an American hero with a gold medal around her neck. I didn't have any idea until obviously I did some research that they had such a huge, uh, social media following as well. And so we just started striking up a relationship and we were talking to them. They, they had said one of their kind of bucket list uh, things was to run a marathon. And Cliff Bar has been a longtime sponsor of the Boston Marathon. And so we said, hey, how about we get something off your bucket list you want to run um, in the marathon? And they were like, oh, uh, wow, I didn't think that would actually happen that quickly. So they came um, to Boston with us um, and wanted to check it out and kind of see what it was all about. And so they kind of came and hang, hung with us. Um, and it was uh, a couple of years ago, it was the worst weather, I think in Boston Marathon history, it was freezing cold and a downpour literally the entire day. It was absolutely miserable. And they were out with us the entire day at the race out in the pouring rain. And uh, it was definitely a way that I got to know them really well that day. And 
they decided because of that experience, they were going to run it the next year. Sean actually, which is awesome news, uh, got pregnant and so couldn't run in it, but Andrew ran in it. Um, and it's just been, it's why I say that is it's, it's a great story is it shows kind of the authenticity, like in our relationship, it started in an organic way, but I just realized like how lucky I am to get to know these kind of people. Um, you know, they're, uh, and they're expecting their second child. And I was actually texting with Andrew, um, last week about it. And, um, they're such good people. And I feel so lucky that, you know, I think people think of influencers and their social media, and, but at the end of the day, they're just human beings and they're struggling just like all of us are in this world we're living in right now. And it's been just so great to get to know them as, as people um, and to get to work with, with people like that. I feel very lucky. Yeah, I mean, mile one and mile 26 of a marathon, it's very different than observing mile 18. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it depends. It's like, oh, let's go check out the marathon and see if you like it. it you have to be very choiceful about uh, at what point you're intersecting that race. Um, all right, so, so I mentioned in the bio, you are on um, the board of the Influencer Marketing Association. You've been around sports and music um, from a marketing perspective throughout your career. You don't need to name names or name companies here, but what's something that you see organizations doing in these spaces that is missing the mark a little bit? And how would you work to fix it if you were to consult them? I think we've talked about it a little bit, um, but it, it goes back to two, two things that we've talked about, but I want to reiterate and maybe dig a little deeper, is the idea of interrupting versus being part of a conversation. And there's absolutely a, a role for paid media, and but we all know none of us, when we're going on to watch a YouTube video, like the idea that we have to wait to get to the content. Um, so I think making sure that whenever you're, that you're thinking through those things, are you being an annoyance or how can you play a role? So like, you know, I've loved seeing some brands and we've done this as well, you know, kind of supporting content and supporting the creation of content where we are able as a brand to put it out there. So we just did a film with um, surfer uh, John John Florence um, about his uh, rehab, his injury to his knee towards ACL. And he was the best surfer in the world when he towards ACL and he was able to make an amazing comeback in the last uh, event of the year to qualify for the Olympics, going head to head with Kelly Slater, um, who's not even arguably the best uh, surfer of all time. And it was an amazing story and we were able to tell that, but we were able to put that content out on Amazon Prime and it's free for people to watch. They don't have to do anything. We're part of the story, and but it's an amazing story. It doesn't feel like a branded piece at all, It's but we helped get it out there to the world to help tell a story. So I think it's, again, not being interrupting, but being a part of people's lives, being a part of people's conversation and being relevant. And then the second thing is, I think working with influencers is, I think it's really critical as I, hopefully I've, I've, I've shown as we've talked today, but to really treat them as partners, to get their insight, to talk with them, um, to treat them um, as business owners 
and really get their feedback. Give them creative control as much as you can because they know their audience better than you know their audience. And if you let them kind of have the creative reins, they are going to do really great work for you and probably want to keep working with you versus telling them what to do um, and really being prescriptive. Uh, they're probably not going to want to work with you in the future. So those would be two of the things I bring up. Drew, thank you again for your wisdom today. If you like today's conversation, you are going to love my conversation with Jessica Thrasher and John Hughes of SMP, which is a leadership communications agency. Thanks again for being with me. And until next time with Jessica and John.